The following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. I have three questions for you. I want you to think these through and we're going to process them through the scripture. So the first question is, what do you do when God doesn't do what you want him to do? What do you do when God doesn't do what you want him to do? How do you respond? And, and guys, I don't want to just ask this question and move on. I want you to really think about this. And I want you, again, to be honest with yourself. When, when you don't get what you want, when you, when you don't get... What, what you want God to do, how do you respond? Are you disillusioned? Are you angry? Are you upset? And depending on the, the severity of the request, in the text we're looking at today, you know, the, the plea was, my brother's dying. He's ill. Um, what happens when God doesn't answer those prayers. What does he get from us? You know, we have the example of Job. Um, and again, he, he wavered as things went on, but, but we see that initial response. Should we not only accept, you know, good from the Lord and not evil? And all that Job said, he did not sin. <laughs> you know, like, man, you know, God is given, God is taken away. Who's, who gets to determine what's, What's entrusted to me anyway and whose is it? Who does it belong to? You know, all these things come into question. But again, what do you do when God doesn't do what you want him to do? I've seen so many different responses to this. I've seen those who trust him and find out that maybe his way is better than ours. I want to ask you another question. Well, when God does do Excuse me, what do, you, what do you do when God doesn't do what you want him to do in the timeline that you want it done? What if, what if you ask for something and you've got, you know, you've got deadlines here, God. I'm not sure you understand here, God. I've got deadlines here. As if my schedule is way more important and you're not familiar with it in this situation. The disciples were guilty of this. And then finally, a thought. How do you think God wants you to respond? How do you think in the moments where things don't go your way, or they don't happen in the timetable that you've determined is ideal, how do you think God wants you to respond in those moments? We're in John chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 1 to 16, and then we're going to pick it apart with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. 
That's the message. Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead or end in, does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, obviously he stayed two more days longer in the place where he was, right? Verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you and, and, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Interesting. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him up. Verse 12. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Don't you know these things? Verse 13. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Verse 14. Jesus told them plainly. Lazarus has died, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you might believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, same doubting Thomas, the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go, let us also go, that we may die with him. That's a pretty bold statement. That's a pretty courageous statement. So one of the things that's interesting is there are seven major signs. We've talked before that in John, the miracles are referred to as signs because they're signposts uh, like John the Baptist that are meant to point to Jesus, right? The, the miracles talked about last week that his words and miracles or works were in tandem to his witness of the statement, the bold statement that I am the son of God. And here he makes that statement again. Right? He is not pulling back. He's not watering down. He's not holding back. He is clearly stating, I am the Son of God, and this whole thing is going to end with me being glorified so that you might believe. And so, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. There are seven of these signs. This is the pinnacle of those seven signs. This is the seventh sign. Um, in the book of John, the pinnacle of his miraculous work, pointing to his deity, yet at the same time creating an incredible stir among his friends and his foes, as we will see. And yet, isn't it awesome that both of those are intended by God? That it would have this response so that the Son of God might be betrayed into sinful men's hands, be crucified, but that on the third day he might rise meaning our salvation. So what, incredibly, what, what incredible good news is it that Jesus, as we see in this passage, has, has the power over death and the fact that he has conquered the grave. 
question came up in Bible study this morning. Did Jesus raise himself from the grave? Well, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have been given the authority by my Father. I have the power. I, I lay my life down. And then what does he say? I take it back up again. Not because, but, but under the authority of the Father. Jesus walked out the Father's blueprint, the Father's purpose, the Father's will to perfection. And what I love in this passage is that he demonstrates, uh, I'm sorry, as we move into next week's, he demonstrates his power over the grave, over death. 1 Corinthians 15, 26 says, the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. So let's walk through the passage together. Now, a certain man was ill. Well, that man is Lazarus of Bethany the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So a little bit, so geography matters tremendously here because guys, if you, and I'm going to tell you this on the front side, if you don't dig in and have a intimate knowledge, I'm not going to even say a superficial, if you don't have an intimate knowledge and don't really dig into the geography and get into asking timelines and stuff here, you miss the glorious message that's being taught here. It's so important to understand those things. So Bethany is about two, is two miles from Jerusalem. So that's why the disciples are concerned about him going back to Judea. Because last moment they had there, you know, they wanted to stone Jesus. And so this, play, this, this town of Bethany is where Lazarus and Mary and, and Martha live. And it's two miles east of Jerusalem, just over the Mount of Olives. And we know where Jesus is, right? Jesus is at the first place where John was baptizing on the other side of the Jordan. And so we can determine how far it is from Bethany to this location. And it's about 20 miles, okay? It's about 20 miles. So I, I, I and I don't know if people of that day probably more prone to walking, more available, uh, or, or walking was more a, uh, a thing back then uh, than it is today with planes, trains, and automobiles. So um, I just asked, I said, how long does it take to walk 20 miles, right? And it's, it came up with all kinds of stuff, but basically it's a day's walk, right? It's seven to eight hours if you're a good walker. Um, and so that's about it. Now, the difference here is this, is that, you know, Lazarus is ill, obviously to the point of death, they're, they're, they're wanting Jesus to know this, right? And so they send a messenger. Now, if you want to get a hold of somebody that you don't know where they're at, right? There's no GPS on, on Jesus at this point, right, for them. Um, what, you know, in today's culture, what, you know, if we don't know where they're at, where do we do, what do we do? You know? You know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna use email, whatever we can do, technology to find them, and then we'll just use the fastest mode of transportation to get there. Things are very different in the first century, right? In Jewish culture, like, they're, they, they, he might have an idea of where Jesus is, but he's, I mean, he's not texting him. He's just, he's just going with the message that the one you love is ill or sick, right? And so this messenger is leaving Bethany, heading 20 miles to bring this message to Jesus, and it's going to take him the full day to get there. That's important that we understand that. Verse 1. Verse 2. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet. Now, I, I love Mary. I just, 
This, and I love that Jesus says in relationship to this very experience that's being discussed here, that is wherever this gospel is preached, this account, this woman's um, ministry will be spoken of. Like, and it's interesting that what's being spoken of here, there's two things that's interesting about it. One, that's, it's in all four gospels, just like Jesus said. Um, secondly, um, it hasn't even happened in the, in the John narrative yet. It's coming up in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And so, of course, you know, John is sharing this retrospectively, but he refers to this out of context. But if we don't know that, we miss that, right? Important. So it says, was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment? So by the way, this is nard. This was a perfume. It says in the other accounts that this was uh, worth 300 denarii, which is an annual wage, right? So this is expensive. Everybody in the room seems to get upset, especially, especially Judas and Simon, the Pharisee leopard. Like, like everybody gets angry about this. And Jesus says, wait a minute. You don't understand what's happening here. See, you're, you, you have value system that's out of whack. You cherish the money thinking that you would give it to the poor, but the poor is always with you. I'm not always with you. What she's doing here is called worship. And she is preparing my body for burial. Now, it's an extravagant expression through a humble means. Do, you know, we're going to go on and read this, but how does she, how does she use this ointment? She anoints his head, but she also anoints, as it's spoken of here, his feet. And then how does she dry his feet? With what I don't have, right? Like with hair, with her hair. I mean, talk about humility. Talk about an expression of worship. And you know, the other thing that I find that I love about Mary is every time we we hear about Mary, where is Mary? She's at Jesus' feet. She is... She is in a posture of learning, listening, worship. And she's the only one. I mean, you've got to believe that she has seen him in a much more profound and unique and accurate way because of her actions, because of her response. Guys, I want to tell you, it's not about what you know about Jesus. It's how you live in response to who he is. Because how we live is what declares in our lives, in our living, who he is. And so we become these witnesses. I was talking to Colette this morning. Man, it, it really is not about what people know we know or impart. It's, I mean, it can, be, it, can, it can be a benefit, but it's more about like what people see in the way that we worship. Does our lives sit at his feet and these are the ones that later on speaks that, that is spoken of as the as the ones Jesus loved. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was was ill. So verse three, so the sisters sent to him, obviously a messenger, saying this. This is what this is so important. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now I want to ask a question. Is there any, is there any demand in that? Is there any demand in that? Is there, I, I would believe that there's some expectation. The hope is, I mean, you don't send a, me, a messenger and a message without having an expectation that, 
But is there a declaration that's made? I believe that what we see here is a request that leaves the answer open to the recipient. Do you see what I'm saying? That just trusts that Jesus knows what's best. I'm not going to tell you what I want done and where, but, but truly I want you to know that, that the one you love is ill. That, that plays a part later. Verse four, but when Jesus heard it's, he said, he Jesus, he said, this illness does not lead, or every other translation I read says end in or lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God, it is for the glory of the Father so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So let's just take this in for just a moment. This family is going to go through a very painful moment. Lazarus is going to go through a very painful experience. And this, Jesus says, is for the glory of God so that the, the Son might be glorified. To what end? Well, let's keep looking. Right? Now it says, verses 4 and 6 can bring a lot of like, what? Let me read that again. But it's important at this particular moment, based on the context of the entire passage, you know, next week we find out that Lazarus has been dead four days. He's been in the tomb. And, uh, and you know, I, I love the King James here says, but Lord, you know, he stinketh. You know, so there, you know, odor has begun here. De- decay has transpired. And, uh, and so it's important for this moment for us to get into the chronology in order to understand and really get to one of the most powerful parts of this text. So I want you to understand that the, that the messenger leaves Bethany and goes to Jesus. That's a day, right? Would there have been any urgency in his journey? Lazarus is ill. I mean, this is probably an urgent path. Well, he gets there and he hears from Jesus that this sickness is not going to end in death. (sighs) Okay, good news. Next day, would make sense, he starts heading back to tell Mary and Martha. But if you read forward here, what you're going to come to find out is, is when Jesus shows up after two days, that he's been dead for four days, which means what? That when the messenger was leaving Bethany and going to Jesus, that Lazarus died. Probably before he even, which later on Jesus states, even, even before he gets to Jesus, Lazarus has expired. Now you're going, why are you so excited about that, Colin? Why does that make such a big deal about where in the chronology that he dies? Well, here's where it's a big deal, guys. When this messenger gets back to Mar- Martha and Mary and their, their, their brother is probably not only dead but buried at this point because that's how it refers to his burial. This is what he tells them. If you're not with me yet, I want to put you in, into, the, into, the, into the narrative. Mary and Martha have buried their brother the day before or yeah, the day before and now... Um, the messenger comes back and uh, I, Lazarus is expired. But this is what Jesus tells them. This is what he says. It is for, he says, this illness does not lead or end in death. Guys, how confusing would it be for you 
If the one that you believe is the author of life, the one that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one that you believe is the Christ, sends a message that when it gets there, your brother's dead. And it says, this illness will not end in death. That would be confusing, no? That would be pretty confusing. And, and how do you, how do you, how do you internalize that? How do you process that? How do you, you know, it's interesting to me as we go on in the passage and Jesus shows up later in the, the chapter 11, he says, um, Jesus, here's some of the words Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I said to him, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection in life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Listen to her response. And I believe that her response is part of her grappling with Jesus' words on the other side of this not ending in death and her brother's dead. Listen, she goes on to say, after Jesus shows up two days later, he says, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. So why is this, what does this mean for you and me? Guys, this is huge, huge. Look, do you, if you ever face circumstances that are so discouraging and dire, and yet the word of God calls you to something that your eyes deceive you? I hope I'm not alone. Have you ever been in a situation where God's word calls you to a posture, to a belief, to a, to a, to, to a truth that your, your circumstances refute or contradict. And we're called in that moment to not, to stand on his word. Are you with me? Like, this is huge. Like, we're called in that moment to, to believe his word over our eyes. We don't walk by, we walk by faith and not by there's going to be moments in your walk with Jesus that it's not going to make sense. And what his word is saying to you is going to be hard to swallow given the circumstances. But what does he want you to do? What does he want Mary and Martha to do with this, this statement that's coming to them on the other side that this will not end in death? How do you reconcile that? And then I want to ask you a question. Because when we're in the throes of the disaster or the storm in, that, in life, man, do you think that the Lord is pleased when we trust him? And, and let, me, let me just say, that's counterintuitive, that's counter nature, that's, but, but is that not the greatest witness when the world sees us, like Paul and Silas in the, in the prison cells, singing at midnight, like does that not go... What, what do you have? Because the challenge is, for most of us, I don't think that we're giving answers for the hope that lies within us because we're not living that questionable life. And I'm not trying to... I'm just saying there's, there's so much more to this walk with Jesus than we're experiencing. There's such a greater journey with Him. There's a trust that stands on His Word when the circumstances say... How? How? Imagine you're Mary and Martha. The messenger comes back and, I don't know, I just perceive that he's kind of like 
It's okay. I didn't have to run home because, you know, this isn't going to end in death. What are you talking about? Lazarus died. What? Jesus said it wouldn't, that this was to glorify the Father and that it it would glorify him, the Son of God. Like, what do you mean? And then they got to grapple with, but Jesus said this. Now, fast forward for just a little bit because that's our posture. That's where we're at in the narrative, right? Like, I'm talking to you now, but you know that Jesus raised Lazarus. Like, hopefully you know this, that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, right? And so with that knowledge in mind, having that forecast and that foreknowledge, man, doesn't it challenge us to stand on his word? Doesn't it challenge us to believe what he says, especially when our circumstances call us in our feelings, in our fears, in our flesh to respond in a different way? Guys, are you with me? Are you here? Because like, man, this, this is so rich. So Jesus says, this illness will not lead to death will not end in death. It is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Whoa, whoa. Did I not read in verse 5 that he loved them? Like he loved them and, and Lazarus needs him. Both sisters say later on in the narrative, if you'd have been here, Lord, my brother would not have died. Both of them say that. So that's is that not a statement before he raises them from the dead? Is that not a statement of their faith? (laughs) And how they see him and who he is? But guys, again, let's just make this practical. Have you had moments where you go, if God loved me, He would do this, and he would do it now. He would do it here, and he would do it this way. And then it doesn't go down like that, and it's our temptation to doubt that God loves us. So what's our, what's, what's the challenge? To stand on his word in those moments where our circumstance deceives us. And our feelings and our flesh and our fears have a desire to overwhelm us in those moments. We stand on his word because his word declares that God demonstrated his own love for us in this. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross, we we, we preach the gospel to ourselves, and we remember that the cross declares that that's not true. How do we, listen, it says the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? Lies. Right? And if, I mean, in those moments, what are you going, what is your anchor? What are you going to hold fast to? Is it his truth? Is it his word? Or is it those fickle feelings that never know where their place is? And it's, it's so tempting when we look at verses five and six to go, now Jesus loved them. And when he heard he was ill, Obviously, knowing that they had asked for his presence and power, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Guys, does it not beckon us in the text to go, why? Anybody want to help me with that? Why did Jesus stay 
when he loved them and, and Lazarus was sick. Why? Yes and yes. Right? He was not moving until the father said go. Right? Even though, do you think that Jesus' heart had some compassion in it? Do you think that, that when he wept in verse 35, that that wasn't a genuine expression of the brokenness that he was experiencing and the empathy? Do you, do you think that Jesus wasn't moved with compassion as it says over and over again? But here's another huge principle, guys. Our heart can be deceptive. And we are not in the scriptures called to follow our heart or our feelings. We are called to follow the Father through the Holy Spirit. And sometimes, guys, his leading won't make sense to our hearts. Did you hear that? That's so important that we understand this. Jesus was radically faithful to the Father's schedule. There's all this talk about moving in the day versus in the night and having the light to lead you. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about we don't go anywhere that the Father doesn't lead us. Because why? Guys, how arrogant are we to think that our plans and our ways are better than his? What kind of vantage point does he have on our life and its scope? Right? Like, what, what is his intention in his heart that's not just something we think, it's been demonstrated through his character. We know he knows better. We know that his heart and intentions are perfect. And it's interesting to me that Jesus relents to the Father's timetable and just like Chris said, it's because God is glorifying his name and exalting his son. Why? 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 Is God just egotistical? No, we see the humility of God demonstrating in the person of Christ who says, I'm the exact imprint of him, of the Father. When you've seen the Father, you've seen me. So we know that's not true. See what scripture does for us? It clarifies itself. It commentates and, and expands on itself. And so here, what we have to, we have to, we have to go then, what is the purpose of glorifying his name and glorifying his son? Wait, it comes. Listen to what it goes on to say. So, then after he says, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now, I gave a little backdrop on the front side because it's important that we have the context. Why would the disciples, when he says, okay, now we're going back to Judea, which obviously demonstrates, as he depicts in why, in the, the, the whole light piece, is the father said to go. <laughs> Right? They, they get that by now. And we're going, and we're going back to Judea. Why would this cause such concern for the disciples? Help me. Why are they like, oh, we can't go back there? Because they want to kill you, Jesus. Don't you remember? Just a short time ago, they picked up stones again to kill you. Why would you go back there? Right? And because we have the benefit of, of, of all that transpires, we know that Jesus' answer would simply be because it's the Father's will. 
that I might suffer, that you might live, that I might die, that you might be glorified and live. And so Jesus set his gaze, fixed his focus on the cross. And, but he didn't do it based on, oh, what do I do today? How do I? He just followed the Father's blueprint. And somehow by him, and he says this in a moment, somehow by him waiting, God would get more glory. That, that his, that Jesus would be seen through, by, uh, for who he is through this experience because he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So let's go on. It says, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just seeking to stone you and are you going there again? Shocked. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world, of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because, interesting, the light is not in him. Who was their light to the Father's path? Jesus. Who is our light to the, to the Father's path? God's Spirit, right? Jesus' manifested power and presence in the person of the Holy Spirit is the one that leads us into all truth and reminds us of everything that he has spoken to us. And how does he lead us? This is so important because maybe we're going, well, how do I get led? It's, you know, we, Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We are led through the word of God by the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. Man, how, how desperate are we to know the word of God, to be in the word of God? Man, it shifts my whole perspective on my circumstances when I see it from God's perspective. So it goes on um, and says this in verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him up or, or to awaken him. And the disciples, you know, again, get lost in the physical, as many do, the woman at the well, on and on. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, past tense. He's died. And then he says, and for your sake, I am glad he is not saying that he's glad that he's dead. He is saying that he's glad that I, he says he's glad that he was not there. And then the biggest point and the title of today's, who knows what the title of today's message is? That you may believe. Do you know why God glorifies the Son? That you might believe that he is who he is and by believing you might be saved. Listen to what this says. Um, we have said for, from the beginning of this pursuit of the Gospel of John that this is the theme. Many think that the theme verse of the Gospel of John is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, right? But this is what m most, if not all, say this is the big idea of the Gospel of John. This is the emphasis. And again, I read it for our benefit, and it says this in, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Listen to what it says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. Verse 31. But these signs 
are written so that you may believe, raising Lazarus, seventh sign, right? But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What is God doing in the midst of this horrific moment in Lazarus, Mary and Martha's life? He's rescuing the world. He's revealing his son. He's glorifying his name, but he's doing it all so that you might believe. Um, This is the team that's going out to get brunch ready. So thank you guys. We love you very much. Um, But, but guys, as we, as we get to the, to the heart of this, Please understand that God is not egotistical. God is not looking. Listen, when, when I get made famous or anybody on this planet gets made famous, no one gets saved. When Jesus is made famous, people get saved. Scripture says, if, you know, if you lift me up, I will draw men unto myself. Sure, that was talking about the cross, but it's talking about exalting him and recognizing him for who he is. So it says here, now, Jesus has spoken of his death, his sleep. Verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad, not that he died, but that I was not there, so that you may believe. Guys, the re- listen, we, we, Jesus needs to be acknowledged for who he is. Who he is. We know we talked earlier about the fact that it's it's, He doesn't want us to want him for what he can do for us. What he does for us continues to depict who he is so that we love him for who he is. And we're enamored with this glorious God that would send his son to die in our place so that we might be rescued from our sinful state and be ransomed back to life. And this Jesus is is portraying himself as the very Messiah, the Christ, the promised one, the anointed one that would come and die in our place. John pointed to him and said, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then I love this because I think this, you know, so often we, and, and if the worship team wants to come, I'm going to finish with this. Um, but here's the thing. Um, we so often take negative moments in people's lives and we love to depict to, to them by those 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 negative moments and you know whenever we sit speak of the 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 disciple thomas we often say doubting thomas based on his statement about you know hey if i don't see him and put my hands in his side and you know i won't believe um but here you know some have speculated that it's that it's sarcasm I, i don't buy it not in the direness of the moment not in the circumstances that are that's being spoken of here and it says this But let us go to him, Jesus says, speaking of Lazarus. He doesn't speak. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't speak of him as gone? Let us go to him. And then verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, Deutimus, right? Thomas said to his his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Talking about Jesus. And Isn't that true of all of us? I talked earlier about Peter, that we might have these moments of courage and where our faith radiates and shines as the Spirit of God invigorates us. But we might also have moments where we're like, where we doubt because of the, the magnitude of the moment. 
And God knows all of that and continues to woo us into, in his most patient and gentle and loving way into a greater faith. And it's always a test. And, but please understand that tests from God's perspective aren't negative. They're meant to refine, to cleanse, to pure, I mean to prune. John, in John 15, opening text, verse 3 says, you know, um, you know that's, you're already clean. He basically talks about the father as being the vine dresser or the gardener. And he says that he prunes us for even greater fruitfulness. God is always trying to harvest a deeper faith out of our life. And trust me that he knows what he's doing. He knows you. He knows me. And his heart, especially in those moments that are painful, is that he is, he is refining us. He is, yes, he's the refiner's fire, but what's the purpose of fire with gold? But to remove, right, the dross, the, the impurities, the doubts, so that your faith might shine for his glory. And we see Thomas here beckoning the other disciples. Man, if he's going, I'm going wherever he goes. Peter said before, he said, where else can we go? You have the words to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just your glorious word. And we know that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And so we believe that as we read your word, as we impart your word, as we listen to your word, as we endeavor to obey your word, we believe that this is where you, you, you cultivate faith in us so that we might believe you are who you said you are, will do what you said you will do, and that we will rest our lives upon the solid rock of that of Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.